Welcome, everyone. Um, I really have enjoyed January and just the, the fact that we get together and pause as a community of believers and just pause and pray. Um, sometimes that can be awkward to pray in public and those types of things, and you're really self-conscious about the things that you say, and you don't want to stumble, but I just, I think that's a good rhythm. I think that's a good exercise for us as a church body to, to learn how to do that and to be able to walk in that rhythm more and more and more. All right, to start off this morning, we're going to play a game. Everybody loves games, right? And you can't play enough games in church, and so we're going to play a game. It's called Word Association. You know that old game in which I say a word and then you spit out the very next word that comes to your mind, okay? So I say something that's a prod or some kind of stimuli to make sure that something comes out of your mind, okay? So if you hear something that might be just a little off color or something that might be just a little honest, make sure that you withhold that, all right? So we don't want any crude humor and those types of things, Colin Johnson. We just don't want those types of things to come out. We just, we want to make sure this is PG, Y7 or something like that. And so if something comes out, just, just hold back the reins. Hold back. Okay, so here we go. This is a warm-up round. Seagull. Beach. Yeah. What'd you say, Scott? Hippopotamus. That is not... Said no one ever. Okay. Most of us said squawking or beach or those kinds of things. All right, ready? Now, fingernail. Sorry, Daniel Trigg. That was a little too close for comfort. Sorry about your finger. Um, so there's, there's, there's that. Um, okay, ready? Uh, Leonard Skinnerd. Everybody who grew up in the 70s goes, Preeper! None of us know what that means, but we kind of know what it means. So. That's, that's great. All right, so all right, let's move into maybe uh, some, some deeper words, some, some strong words. All right. Seek. Okay, that was unanimous. All right, what about uh, to wander? Okay, that's good. That's good. All right. Now, what about storage? I didn't even hear what happened, but that was amazing. All right, what about this word? Delight. Okay. All right, so now we're kind of engaged and we're going. Uh, today is obviously about word association. All right, and what we want to do is we want to link some things together so that when you hear something, you want it to, to link up almost immediately. We want something to attach um, itself to your heart and to your mind. So when you hear seagull or when you hear these types of things, some things immediately come flowing out. Uh, we're going to learn uh, not just about word association, but we're actually going to learn from the word. And so if you've got your scriptures, I want you to turn to Psalm 119. We're in the Psalms once again this week. And so if you, again, just kind of a cheat sheet, if you just put your thumbs right there in the middle and you open it up, 99 times out of 100, you're going to open up to the book of Psalms. It has 150 chapters altogether, so 119 is where we're going to be today. Um, here's some, some, some interesting things that you need to know about Psalm 119 before we even get into the text itself. The fact is that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, all right? So you need to know, this thing is amazing. And of the chapters, right, it has one big topic. And what is that topic? The topic is the Word of God. So when word association comes, this, 
this chapter is as word association as it gets because it talks about over and over and over, it talks about the word. Some little uh, trivia here is that the very middle of your Bible, if you start from Genesis 1, go all the way to Revelation 22, if you look in the middle of your Bible, that's actually Psalm 118. To the left of uh, 118 is 117, which is the shortest book of the Bible. 119 is the longest, so there's a little Bible trivia there for you. Uh, Psalm 119 has many chapters inside of, cha- uh, of the chapter, what we call stanzas. And each of these chapters or stanzas are represented by a Hebrew letter. And so if you look in your scriptures, you'll see that the very first word that you'll see is, is Aleph. Right? That's the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Then Bet, right? then Gimel, and then Dalet, and it just goes on and on and on. And so you have each of these stanzas represented by a Hebrew letter. So the first kind of section is Aleph, and then Bet. And this is, and goes on from there. Here's where it gets really interesting with intentionality. Is that every single sentence, even though it doesn't translate in English, if you read the, the Hebrew in Aleph, every line begins with a, a word that begins with Aleph. And so every single uh, verse inside of Psalm 119, 1 through 8, begins with Aleph. And then you move to Bet, and then you have eight verses that begin with the letter B. And then you have Gimel and Daleth, and it just goes on and on and on. So there's some symmetry going on. There's some intentionality with Psalm 119. The the writer of Psalm 119 is being very, very intentional to tell you, I have thought about these things, and it must be important to you. The symmetry continues in that every single stanza has eight verses from start to finish. 1 through 8, 9 through 16, and it just goes on and on and on. So there's some symmetry. Every verse is, is, does not build on one another. It's not like a chain, one commentary says. It's not like a chain where they're, inter, they're interconnected. But instead, they're more like pearls, where they're the same, they're similar, and yet they're independent clauses. Speaking of the word eight, not just that every stanza has eight verses, but there's eight words that, that, that go, in, go in line with the word of God. And so you're going to hear some things in Psalm 118. Oh, 119. You're going to hear the word law. And you're going to hear the word precept. You're going to hear the word uh, statutes and commandments and, and word. And there's two different Hebrew words uh, for God's word. On and on and on. But there's eight substantive um, words that have to do with God's word inside this chapter. And so Psalm 119 is about God's word. And the writer of Psalm 119 wanted you to know that he has thought about this psalm for a very, very long time. And everything is intentional. Somebody has gone through and read all of this, this whole chapter. It is 176 verses, uh, I think, 176 verses all, all total. Somebody has gone through and circled every time that God's word is being used over and over. 171 out of 176 verses, God's word is being represented in all of these verses. Word association. What is important in Psalm 119? It is God's word. 
In the month of January, we are looking at the, the rhythms of your life, these things that should be in your life when you dip in the valleys and when you're up here on a mountaintop and where you are spiritually, just, your journey is going to look like this. And you're going to want some things that are going to be anchored in your life. You want something to be standard and you want something to be substantive and something to hold on to you. And we call these things, these spiritual rhythms or these spiritual disciplines of your life. The very first discipline that needs to be in your life must be your inner engagement and your interaction with God's word. And there's no better chapter in the scriptures than Psalm 119 to learn in our heart what my role and what your role is to actually learn from and glean from and to be dependent upon God's word. We can't study all of this, uh, all 176 verses. There's just, uh, just too much, not enough time. So what we've done is we've picked uh, the second stanza, all right? We're, we've picked uh, 9 verse 16 as the, the passage that we will study together. And so let's read that out loud. Not out loud. I'll read it out loud. You read it, but let's read it together. This is Psalm 119, 9 and following. And this is God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Word association, what is going on in this chapter? First and foremost, you need to know that the word bet, B-E-T-H, is, is short for house. And so Bethlehem, Bethel, all of those, those, those very Jewish words that, that start with Beth is the word, of house, is the word for house. So this is, this, this, this stanza is about the God's word, about the word of God finding a home, to find a house inside your heart, inside your life. And what you will notice very quickly is that God's word is very, very important. In fact, every single verse has some kind of declaration that God's word is important. Let's just pick up in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a question mark, right? If you're a young man, you want to ask this question of yourself. But how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. There it is, your word. Let's just go to the next one. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from what? Yeah, there we go. Okay, yes, these, are, these are hard. These are hard. All right, your commandments. So commandments and word, they're synonyms. This is what's going to happen over and over and over. Not just in 9 through 16, but the entire chapter. Let's go one more. I have stored up what? Your word in my heart. And so what you need to know is that every single verse in these, these eight verses have to do with God's word. Word and testimony, and statutes over and over. Your commandments happen over and over and over. So this stanza is word-based. This entire chapter is word-based because the writer wants you to know 
for you to have a sustainable life, you're going to have to have God's word in your life. But it's also possessive, right? It's not just word-based, but it's personality-based as well. What is the pronoun that precedes every single kind of word synonym? It's the pronoun your. It's your word. It is your statutes. It's your commands. And so these aren't just words from a guy that's strapped to a microphone that will stop in time and space. It will literally maybe not have any impact whatsoever as of 11 o'clock. But these are living and these are breathing and these are active because these aren't just anybody's words. These are God's words. So you have that they're word-based, but they're also personality-driven, that they're not ours. They're not humans. They're actually God's words themselves. But you also need to realize that there is all kinds of emotion wrapped up in this stanza. And we just picked out eight. But the emotion is very real. Like, Lord, how can I keep my way pure? What is it that I can do to make sure that my way or my path or the way that I will go will stay straight? And these are real questions for real life. The study of theology, the study of the scriptures is not just to get smarter. It really is a practical way in, in which we are to walk in the way that God would have us to walk. And this idea that, Lord, do not let me wander. Do not let me go off this path, but allow me to stay straight and let me continue to fix my eyes on you. And then at the end, it says, please, 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 Lord, please let me delight in your statutes. Let me delight in your commandments. And so there's this emotive language of delight, of enjoyment, of delicacy. Every time that you and I hear a message like this about, hey, you need to read your Bible. We look at this kind of exercise or we look at this discipline and we say, I've got to start reading my Bible or I need to read my Bible or I feel shamed because I'm not reading my Bible or I don't have time to read my Bible. These types of things start stirring up. I would like to call, call a timeout on this and say that this message and what the scripture tells us and what we're asking of you is not that you read your Bible every day, <sighs> right? That's not what we're asking. We're not asking you to read your Bible every day. What we're asking you to consider is for you to begin to want to read your Bible more often than not. This is not a legalistic thing in which this is how you climb the ladder to get to God. This is not just something, some kind of precept in which you are able to like gain more of God if you do this all the time. But there is an emotive word here. There is an emotion that's dripping here and it's called delight and satisfaction and where all the goods are. And so this is not about duty. This is not about obedience. This is about sheer delight and delicacy and goodness that comes from God's word alone. Yes, it's a command. Yes, it's strong. But first and foremost, it has to be in your heart. Can I tell you something? Every single... Uh, back up. 
365 days out of the year. Okay, so 360 days out of the year, I will check my Facebook page. 300 and, I don't know, 20 days out of the year, I'm going to go to Dog Nation and check on the Georgian Bulldogs. Almost every day of the year, 360, I mean, really high, I will check some news outlet, Fox, CNN, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I will look at some type of news whatsoever. I will open my Gmail almost every day, some kind of news outlet, some kind of like social engagement, on and on and on. Why? Because someone told me to? No! There is something on the other side of that click or there's something on the other side of that push that will give me something. It will actually feed me something that I so desperately desire, whether it's information or engagement or something that I have to do. Whatever it is, it is propelling me. It's not forcing me to do it. It's propelling me to push on that thing. Is it bad? No. Is it good? I don't know, but it just, it's just a thing. And so a message like this cannot command you to do anything. But there has to be some motivation that there's something on the other side of the, of the click or the other side of the push or the other side of just opening it up. And it comes down to this word, delight. I want to know what it's like to delight in you. It cannot be a duty whatsoever. We do not have a time issue. We all have plenty of time. We have a delight issue. What are the things that bring us great joy? Where are you going to find the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? You can't find that in your own conscience. And you cannot find that written in the stars. The only way that you know that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus unless you have a delight to read it first. It first has to be said of you before you believe it. Where are you going to hear that he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. You can't create that. That can't be passed down generationally. It has to be first read in the scriptures. First and foremost, we, not, we don't need to just do this out of obligation. We need to know that in here and on these pages are the true, it's just the lamp posts of life that will show us the way. That's why at the very heart of Psalm 119 is your word is a, what? A lamp into my feet. Over and over, a light into my path. And so how are you and I gonna read our Bibles? What are you and I going to do in order to kind of move this from kind of obedience, right? Or just kind of obligation or move this from duty and move this into something that, that will just really pull us out of the bed this, uh, this morning, every morning. 
Well, this morning I'm going to teach you just a very simple Bible study method, okay? Very, 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 very simple Bible study method. And it's actually on your worship guide, okay? And you'll find it here. Now, I know that the print wasn't real, real, uh, real, real, and the, the light's not great in here. But inside every one of those boxes, there's actually a word in there. It's very gray. It's hard to look fine. But it's there, all right? So in the top left-hand corner, you will find the word adoration. All right, and I want you to go this way, all right? All right, so then the, the next box over is confession. And I want you to go diagonally down. And the next box is thanksgiving. And then you have supplication, all right? So what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to, to learn a little bit about what these four words mean and what these four words are so that when we open up our Bibles this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, that we actually have some kind of semblance or some kind of guide in order to kind of draw some things out of us. And so this is it's an acronym. It's ACTS, A-C-T-S, okay? A-C-T-S. Not the A-C-T, not uh, whatever. It's A-C-T-S, ACTS, okay? A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. So first and foremost, what in the world does it mean to, to adore something? Or what does adoration mean? Well, it's a word, okay? It's, it's something that emanates from you out there towards something that's superior than you, okay? So it's, just, it's a word that emanates from in here. It goes out there towards something or someone that's superior than you. It always starts in your heart. It then comes out of your mouth. And sometimes throughout the scriptures, adoration has some kind of physical attribute. So sometimes you may have to bow or kneel or raise your hand. But all sorts of adoration is acknowledging that something, someone is more superior than you and you are giving that, that, that person or that thing homage or you are praising. The result of adoration is always worship. The result of adoration is always worship. The things that we adore are the things that we worship. The things that we adore are the things that we worship. And so the things that are in here, that emanate out there onto something that's superior, that is called worship. That's reverence. And that's what it means to adore or to have adoration. And so throughout every single scripture, we are going to adore God for two things. Who he is and what he does. All right, and that's what adoration is. It's, it's looking at and finding and discovering and hearing what, who God is and what he does. Every scripture, we should have some kind of relationship with who God is and what he does. And that's what we would put, woo, that's what we would put in the adoration box, okay? Secondly is confession. Confession, again, it's another word that comes out of our mouth, all right? So it's the same way that adore is, is like almost never, um, is never internal, right? It can be, but mostly when we read it in the Bible, it's outwardly. In the same way, confession. Confession is just kind of an outpouring toward God and toward others as you confess or you admit your shortcomings or your sin or the replacement of value. And so this is what confession is, is when you miss the mark, when you trade places with God himself, when you do wrong, when you do not do right, all of these things have to do with sin. You confess those to both God and to others. Oftentimes it starts inside 
we read Psalm 51 where, where, where David had this internal guilt and then it came out as confession. And so the same way that, um, that adoration, the result is, is worship, confession, this will surprise you. Confession, the result of confession is unity. So can, out of confession comes unity. As you confess or declare um, your sins before God, you are restored. You're brought back together. This week, Nicole and I were in a tiff. She was wrong, obviously, right? Um, that was a joke. That was a joke. All right, but we were in a tiff, right? And what brings us together? The fact that I was on my high horse and was out to prove her wrong? Never, says anyone, right? It was this moment of humiliation. It's the, not humiliation, but this humbling where we, will, we would come together and say, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? The result of confession, even as painful as it is, is always unifying, all right? And so that's what confession is. And so when we read our scriptures, the scriptures should be aggressive. They should almost be abrasive toward us, and we're going to see ourselves in light of who we are. And so as we see God, right, and we adore him, we will also see ourselves, and we'll like shrink in fear and guilt and frustration, like, ah, Lord, I have failed again. That's natural. That's good. And yet there's a healing attribute to confession. So don't be afraid of it. If you want to be healed, right, if you want to be unified, you need confession in your life. And then thirdly, right, and it needs to go in this order, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, not just that the sun came up, even though that's an amazing thing. Not just thank, you know, thank to God that uh, your kid got into the fifth grade class what, that you wanted. Those are all good. But especially in light of Scripture, we need to see Jesus from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation. Everything is pointing to what Jesus has done on our behalf. And our heart needs to be grateful or we need to have gratitude for what he has done in light of the sin in our heart. In the past, he's forgiven us of the penalty of sin, right? And so we thank Jesus that he has, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank him for that. And in the scriptures, we're going to see Jesus kind of walk alongside us and point himself out through every scripture. In the same way that right here and now, he's not just saving us of our past sins, but he's also praying. Uh, um, saving us of our current sins, right? And so the power of sin can be depleted in Christ Jesus. We're going to read of some of those promises in the scriptures. So we need to be thanking God of our past salvation, that Jesus is literally saving us, our being saved, 1 Corinthians would tell us. And then ultimately, there will be a day where there will be no more presence of sin whatsoever, so penalty, power, and presence of sin where we will be blameless and we'll be washed as white as snow and that's going to be a glorious day and that's all because of what Jesus has done. We believe that in, in every scripture is screaming and telling us the story of Jesus. Old Testament and New Testament, pre-ascension and post. And that's why we need to sit and relish in this thanksgiving. And then lastly is the supplication. It's not a word that we use a lot. Right? It's a big, it's probably an old time word, but basically it means pleading or another word for begging. And so when you get to supplication and you've read your Bible and you filled out your little boxes and those types of things, supplication is simply you pausing and you reflecting on your adoration, your confession, your thanksgiving, 
and there's just some, some action items. There's some things that you are pleading God to do inside those other three disciplines. So if we as a church body, if we are able to have this as a regular rhythm of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, we will be a much better body because we will understand these rhythms of life and we will know exactly how we are to interact with the scriptures. And so here's what we want to do. Let's go through a box or two, depending on the time, okay? So look over Psalm 119, 9 through 16, all right? And let's glean these scriptures. Let's look at these scriptures together and find ways in which God is speaking of who he is and what he can do, right? And you can literally fill out the boxes if you want, all right? Um, I, on purpose, haven't done a ton of, of study because I wanted it to feel a little bit dynamic. If things get a little slow, you know, I can, I can prod and those types of things. But adoration, who do you see God is and what do you see God doing in Psalm 119, 9 through 16? What would you put in your box? Okay, so um, we are blessing the Lord for who he is. Good. He is blessed. The most blessed. Capital B blessed. Very good. Anything else? Keep going. You're going to thank God for his word. Don't forget that it's not just a word, but it's possessive. Your word, your statutes, your commandments. And so in your heart, what's going to overflow is the fact that God is word. So let me, let me just pause real quick. So you can take a simple pronoun, your word, and you can make it into a characteristics of, of God because God is, 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 is his word, yes? But he's kind and he's generous because he shared his word for us. It's not just his word, but he has made it palatable. He's made it understandable. He's condescended into us to help us to understand. And so now your heart is really rolling because of this generous, kind, sharing God who has given us his word. You see how that's going? And then all of a sudden, we are adoring God. One more. He's, got, he's our guide, right? And so not just that is he, he imparting word, right? All of us could listen to a lecture by Einstein and go, what in the world? Like, what? it's not just that there's a word, and it's not just that it's his word, but he is going to guide us. He is going to walk alongside us. And in one way, he's going to be our teacher. And in another way, he's going to walk along the way with us. Whose heart is not exploding in adoration right now because of what he has done and who he is? Does that make sense? And so now with just three words, our hearts are adoring God. All right. Secondly, let's, let's move to confession. So we don't just see in every scripture who God is, but also we see ourselves. The mirror is pretty bright and can glaring and we're a little bit ashamed in this box. But again, if it's unity and healing, let's just kind of go there. So what are some things that are in that's pretty aggressive or abrasive that we can put in confession? 
You're what? Okay. So we are confessing the fact that I don't find joy in God's law. Right? I see commandments. I see a duty. But I don't find joy. Like my heart doesn't explode when I hear your law. Good. Keep going. Okay. Stay that Jeremiah. Okay. So he says whole heart. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a half heart kind of guy. I'm a quarter heart. I mean, but the whole heart, that's something I can't say with, with full integrity. Lord, give me a whole heart that learns after you. All right, Jeremiah, were you saying something? Having an impure heart. Okay, let's just talk about impurity for a second. I mean, like, I sin on a daily basis. My heart is impure. You're going to feel that in your box because out of adoration, you're now in a safe place. You know God loves you. You know who he is, but you're in a safe place to say, I'm not you. In the very beginning of time, when Adam and Eve are in the, in the garden and being tempted by the, by the serpent, it says, did God really say? And in that question mark, everything in humanity unravels because we don't trust him. Now we can be honest about who we are and not run and hide in shame because these things are a mirror to us. One more. You're going to have to yell louder. Okay. I, have, I am forgetful. You tell me to hide or to store your word in my heart? Man, there are days, weeks, maybe even a month where I've forgotten anything. Okay, so now, all right, so where's Jesus? All right, Jesus is on every page of the scriptures. We're able to see this, right, in an Old Testament passage like this. This is going to flex. This is a muscle that we don't often flex. But there's Jesus inside Psalm 119, 9 through 16. Okay, what are some, what are, where are the shadows, as Hebrews would say it? The shadows of Christ on every page. So what do you see? Lord, I'm a wanderer. There is one who never wandered. His name is Jesus. Jesus, or I'm a sinner. There is one who never sinned. Ah, okay. The things that, bring, that are in my life that are so shameful. Jesus now becomes my, arm, my, my guard as Psalm would say, he becomes my guard. He's the one that keeps me from that shame. Very good. Here you go. There's nothing in your life right now that should make you pure. Or you could stand on purity. But because of Jesus, you can say things about yourself that he says about you rather than what you would say. And the number one is that he has made you pure. He has washed you as white as snow. And so we've adored God. We've confessed our sins. We've thanked God for what Jesus has done for us. And then in this last box, this idea of begging or pleading, we're just going to summarize a few of those things. And so you're just going to say, Lord, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a half-hearted man. 
Will you make me a wholehearted man? Lord, I am a young man and I am struggling with purity. Will you show me the way to do that? And you're just writing these pleadings, these urges for God. And the last thing that I'll teach you is that um, it's called impact, right? The last thing I would love to teach you is that out of all of the things that you've said and, and all the things that you've done, all the things that you've read and studied, I'd love for you to, every time you get up from studying your Bible, is for you to put, summarize that, that session with the Lord in one simple sentence or one simple phrase. And I want that to be your impact for the day. And I want you to carry that one impact, that simple line, that simple phrase. And I want you to be armed. And I want you to be dangerous. And I want you to be willing to use that one insight or that one revelation or that one confession or that one thanksgiving into the world where you are salt and light to those around you. And so when you're talking about to a brother or sister and you want to spur one another toward love and good deeds, guess what? You now enter the day with an impact of what God has revealed to you. Do you need to be salt and light to your coworkers or to your neighbors, to those people who are far from Jesus? And now you have something to say about what God is teaching you in his word and through his word. We do not want you to read your Bibles every day. What we want is for you to want to read your Bibles. And what we really want is that the Word becomes so active and so good to your heart and your life that when word association comes, there will be a different response. So if I say delight after reading this passage, your response may be a little different. When you hear wander throughout your day, your response may be a little different. You see what I'm saying? So now word association is that you are associating your word. You're, you're, as you walk throughout the world, you're associating that with the word of God. This is what it means to be salt and light, to fend off darkness with the word of Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. So Jesus Christ, we want to say the things that are true of you rather than trying to be so creative that we have to come up with things on our own. Thank you that you've given us the word, but thank you for making it your word, King Jesus. Some of us in here are really struggling with our a rhythm of getting up and, and reading and praying through your word. And this morning, we've been convicted that this needs to be a rhythm for my life in 2019. King Jesus, I pray that you come alongside us, that you will be our guide, that you will become our teacher, and that we will see you for who you are, and that would make us worshipers of you. There are others in here that don't even adore you, Lord, who have a hard time giving you any credit or even acknowledgement. I pray now for 
these men and women, middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students that are just, that uh, may not even be on a way, that you would be kind to them. Come alongside and guide them to yourself. Draw them to yourself, Lord Jesus. So Jesus, as we look at the pages of our scriptures, help us to remind and remind us that every page points to you and what you've done. The only significance that we have is in you. The only purpose that we have is in you. Every reason that we have is in you. The only way that we can claim righteousness and forgiveness and salvation and purity and beauty is because of what you have done first and foremost. Help us to trust in you fully and completely. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.